Okay, uh, this morning we're just going to continue uh, from, from Numbers, the 19th chapter. We left off in the 18th chapter, and, and where, there, where there it talks about the Levite. And, and so we left off there. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read uh, chapter 19 of Numbers. And there's going to be a lot of counsel this morning. And what I mean by that is that there's going to be a lot of scriptures because how else is God going to counsel us without his word? And his word is what he breathes out. And what he breathes out is our life, right? It's truly our life. So there's going to be a lot of those. If you miss some, don't worry about it. Uh, this is going to be recorded for our, you know, for, for God's glory and our blessing and our benefit. So this is Numbers, the 19th chapter. In verse 1 it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer, without spot, wherein there's no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. And you will give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. Notice that, it's without the camp. And one will say, and one will slay her before his face. And Eleazar the priest will take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. Where it says here in certain translations, the tabernacle of the congregation literally says in the Hebrew, the tent of the meeting. The tent of the meeting. So what we can understand by that is, is God the Son, who is and always was and is the Word in John 1, 1, he put on humanity. When it says in John 1, verse 14, and the Word became, and really the Word was made flesh. Really, the Greek is saying, and the Word tabernacled himself in humanity. That's what John 1, verse 14 is saying. So we can see these things. So the blood was directly before the tabernacle of the, of the congregation, the gathering, seven times. And one will burn the heifer in his, in his sight. Her skin, her flesh, her blood, her dung will he burn. And the priest will take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and, scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the fire. Now when we get into the meaning of what cedar wood and hyssop, and scarlet. Those things go into, you will have to get into Leviticus the 13th chapter, and at some point we can do that. Leviticus the 13th and 14th chapters, because there it deals with those that have what? What do they have? Lepers. They're lepers. They have leprosy. And leprosy is a type of sin. And, and we'll go into that at a different time there. And so that's what the priest will do. He'll take all of those things. They're never separated from that, from the burning of the heifer. Then the priest will wash his clothes. He will bathe his flesh in water, his body. And afterwards he will come into the camp and the priest will be unclean until the, even, until the evening. And he that burns her will wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and will be unclean until evening. In verse 9, and this is where we're going to stop. 
and a man that is clean. Notice that, a man that is clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp. They're outside the camp in a clean place. And it will be kept for the congregation or the the tent of the meeting where those that assemble the Israelites, the children of Israel, listen to what it says, for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. Notice that? It's a purification for sin. That's what it says in Numbers. And so what we see here, remember when, uh, what God has taught us already, that the book of Numbers, in type for the believer, us in Christ right now, in this dispensation of grace, the church age, what this is teaching us is this: we are set free from Egypt, the world system. The world system, we, we've been separated by the, by the death of Christ, and so since that's happened to us and we've been set free from the enemy and Pharaoh, the type of Satan, and Egypt, the type of the world system, we've been set free. Now we're in the wilderness and we're on our way to our promised land. And that speaks of us. That's We're in a wilderness journey right now. We're in the world system. It's a wilderness. There's no supply for us in this world system. None. It's only in Christ That's why it says in Colossians 3, verse 4, Christ who is our life. And that's why it says in Colossians 3, uh, verse 2, to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Gee, you can't have both. You can't set your mind on Christ and set your mind on the things of the earth. If one has your attention, you lose the other. You lose the other. Then whatever you lose in terms of Christ becomes that that guides you, other than him. And so Colossians 3, verse 3, Colossians 3, 2, says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Colossians 3, 3, for you died. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. And verse 4 says, for Christ who is our life, when he appears, who is our life? We're trying to live the Christian life with a set of rules and legalism. No, Christ is our life. He's met every single thing that was necessary to close and do away forever with the distance that was between God and, and us. And so because of that, when he appears, we will also appear with him in what? In glory. See, everything about it has to do with glory, his grace and truth. And that's what even John 1, verse 14, if you read that whole verse, they looked at his glory. They beheld his glory, it says. The glory is of the only begotten. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. So in the wilderness, where we are right now, passing through, we're not settled down. No, our foundation is not on this earth. Everything about us has nothing to do with this earth. It has everything to do with our heavenly promised land. That's why we are a tent people. And if you look at the book of Numbers, they had tents. Remember we've said before they lived in tents. And you'll see this really brought out in Numbers the 10th chapter. Those tents that were even established and fixed to the earth, to the ground, were made of silver. They were redeemed from anything of the earth (laughs) in their particular bodies, their tents, their tabernacles. And that's what we're in. We're in these tabernacles. And of course, in Romans 8, 22, 23, and 24, at times we groan because we're still in these. But we're looking to be clothed upon. 
with our heavenly tabernacle. This is these brand new bodies that we will get immediately uh, when we see him face to face. So, again, Colossians 3, verse 4, For Christ, who is our life, when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. But for now, where are we? We are in this world system, but are we of it? No. John 17, verse 16, we aren't, because he who is our life, in John 17, verse 14, was not of it either. Nothing about him of the world was constituted in him. And nothing about us, not one single thing. So what do we have as we travel through? We're already in Christ. We've been set free from Pharaoh. Thank God for that. And you'll see the truth of that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 to 18, which are very, very critical to understanding the full understanding of these things. That's why we give the scriptures. That's why we give them. Because if you don't have those, okay, if you don't have them, how are you going to follow through with your thoughts and think properly? And that's what God's training us to do. And he does so through his word. And his word has to do with his will. And is his will very essential to us? It is. So, as we pass through this wilderness, as we're passing through, we have the provision of water, the water of of what? Purification. Purification. From what? From any defilement with that that's death or that that's dead. And what brings defilement? So now when I look at that in Numbers, the 19th chapter, and this is why we have the scriptures that God has given us so that we can understand them and we'll never come to the end of understanding them fully, but we can know. But even when you look at this, this is what the type is. This is the fulfillment of Numbers, the 19th chapter, the red heifer. The red heifer is Christ. We, t- we, t- we uh, touched about that. But we're going to see how Christ will fulfill this because all in the Old Covenant are types. And who's the great antitype? It's Christ. He's the great antitype. All the sacrifices, every single thing, all through the Bible, from Genesis all the way through, is pointing to Christ, who, of course, has already come and already fulfilled, listen, for us, all prophecy. And that's what we need to know, so we know where we are in this dispensation of grace, this church age, where we are in the time period. And just know how valuable time is to us. But in John, the 13th chapter, this is what it says in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, and that, that's what the Jews are still celebrating at this particular time, and still to this day, who haven't received Christ, rejected him. In John 1.11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, his people, and they said, they rejected him. They said, no. But the Passover is that that they're celebrating in Exodus, the 12th chapter, those first 13 verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, boy, his hour, boy, is that for us, huh? It was for God first in propitiation. And then in that secondary part of propitiation, he becomes our substitute. We receive him. We're reconciled to God. All distance is done away with in our position. Now it has to do with our experience, and there's where the water of purification comes in. So when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, it's very emphatic, this world, (laughs) 
and he's going to another whole world. And that's what we are. We're not settling in this world. Not a single thing about it dictates to us. We're headed for a different world, a world to come. That is brought out in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. You'll see that in verse 14 and 15. We seek a city to come, a whole world. <laughs> oh. He departed out of this world unto the Father. And when he did that, that's what he was saying to Mary at the tomb in John 20, verse 17. You can't grab me and hold me here. I'm going to go to my Father and my God, your Father and my God. Having loved his own which were in the world, were they of it? No. He loved them unto the end. And what is their end? the beginning of him face-to-face forever without a distraction or a disturbance. And supper being ended, the devil having now been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. How many things did the Father give into his hands? How many of our things are in his hands? How many? Okay. Even the details, right? Okay. We need to know that. I need to know it too. And that he was come from God and went to God. He rose from supper. He he rose. (laughs) He rose. And if he didn't, he couldn't have done any of this. See, the resurrection is the proof that all distance between us and, and God is dealt with. There is no distance. He has nothing against us. There's no condemnation in Romans 8, 1, in Christ. He has nothing against us. He rose. And so in Acts 17 and verse 31, there's proof, the resurrection is proof that there's a judgment for the world, all those outside of Christ, and no judgment for us because our sins have been dealt with. Two reasons for the resurrection. And boy, are they incredible. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. This speaks of the fact that he lays aside his deity. Now, when you get again in in the book of Numbers, they hadn't got yet to their promised land to to have the first and second temple or the tabernacles built. So until then, they had a tabernacle through the wilderness. That tabernacle was a type of Christ. wasn't much to look at because on the outside there were animal skins. That was a picture of Isaiah 53, verse 2. There was no beauty in him that we would desire him. But all remember what they said in John 1, verse 14. The word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. (laughs) So inside of that tabernacle that had all these different animal skins was absolutely beautiful was absolutely gorgeous. That, those are the types that are brought out in, in the Word of God. So he rose and he laid aside his garments, meaning he laid aside the outward form of his glorious deity. <laughs> he never ceased being deity. Some would say, well, he laid aside his deity. He could never be who he always is, <laughs> the Word of God. But he laid aside the outward manifestation of that glory. And in that sense, he was hidden, but not from us when we hunger and when we thirst after him and when he is our life. And so he, he 
laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. This is a picture of him putting on humanity. I don't know. God, who's always been, and he puts on humanity. And what that implies is amazing. He took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. This is the water of purification. This is the fulfillment of the type that's going on and we're being taught in Numbers, the 19th chapter. Poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This is God in the humanity of Christ doing this. <laughs> then, then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? How about, about all those theologians and scholars? They don't need their feet washed. They have arrived. You wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you know not now. Because he was going to go to the cross and it was going to be shown him. But you will know hereafter. <laughs> and boy, do we need to know that. Peter said unto him, You will never wash my feet. <laughs> Yeah, Peter's all set. Jesus has given him enough. You'll never wash my feet, Jesus answered. If I, wa if I wash you not, you have no part with me. You can't fellowship. You won't be intimate with my love. And my love won't be intimate with you, and there'll be no fellowship, because God cannot fellowship, even when sin's in the experience, even though they're dealt with and paid for. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he that is washed... Once, <laughs> right? That's Hebrews 10.10. 10. He, he, he once, he is once, what he did was once and forever. Not for all, like it says there, but for many, obviously. And in Hebrews 10, verse 14, we're for, forever were perfected, completed in him. Jesus said, and Jesus said unto him, he that is washed doesn't need, to, the only thing he needs is to have his feet washed because where are we walking? We're walking in the world. Satan's worldly system, our feet, our walk gets polluted and defiled. And to experience the deep fellowship and the desires that we so deeply need and can only come from him in his intimacy, our feet have to be quenched. Right? And because when we have dirty feet, we're going to keep walking in the world, keep being governed by it, even though Christ is in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, but he that but is clean every every way, and you are clean, but not all. Of course, he was speaking of Judas Iscariot. He was never clean once, receiving Christ as his Savior, and thereby having his feet cleansed. That's why his feet were uh, Judas Iscariot's feet were so quick to run to those to get payment to betray him. So again, we look at this. Here is the water of purification. This is the type that's being fulfilled. That's our provision. And the water of purification from what? The defilement from dead. For here, they weren't to touch a dead body. Okay? Because that death would be what? Put upon them. That's why we don't fellowship. That's why fellowship is Christ. It has nothing to do with the world. Anything like it has nothing to do with it whether it's the music, the dress, what people do, how they get. We've we got nothing to do with that. 
Furthermore, um, you know, for any of us, for men and women, but for women, as far as dress, read that in First Peter, the third chapter. And that'll, that'll uh, protect, protect you and protect uh, all of those. So again, this is what it says here. There's a spiritual meaning. There's a spiritual meaning in God's government over us through this water of purification from the defilement of dead. So when we walk in the world, okay, is the world and everything about it dead to God? Well, watch what it says. This is when God, and, he, and, and again, does he pray? Does Christ in his high priestly prayer of intercession in John 17, verse 9, you will see that in Romans 8, verse 34. You'll see it in Hebrews 7, 25, and in Hebrews 9, verse 24. He does not pray for the world. He prays for us. Okay. And he prays for those that have his life in them. Right? He doesn't pray for them at all. Why? Now watch what it says. This is why we need the whole preponderance of the scriptures, by the way. And this is why God's given them to us. So that we can grow up. We can grow up in him. And look what it says in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Watch what it says. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says this, For the love of Christ constrains us. It's the only thing that holds us together and sees us all the way through, and love that crucified our old nature in Romans 6, 1 through 6, paid for all our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west, in Psalm 103, verse 12, doesn't know us after them, in Isaiah 43, verse 25, and Isaiah 44, verse 22, Hebrews 8, 12, and 10, 17, and I can only give them to you as God gives them to me so supernaturally. He doesn't treat us after our sins. He just doesn't. For the love of Christ constrains us. And when we sin, what do we have? We have this provision. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, see that you say not. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for, and, and what? And for the whole world. Not like it says in certain translations because we know uh, the truth of that, and at least as we're growing. So, for the love of Christ constrains us. Why? Because we thus judge, in other words, we discern proper thinking, that if one died for all, why did one die for all? Wow, look what it says. Because we're all, all we're dead. As far as God's concerned, every single person is dead, separated from him outside of Christ. So why do we need water of purification? So we don't function like dead people because we're not. Like Christ is our life, so he washes our feet and establishes our walk again in the intimate love life that is ours in Christ. But he has to wash our feet. That's something we do continually, and we will do continually until we see him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. So for the love of Christ constrains us because we thus discern that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Look at verse 15. And that he died for all. Did he die for all? Yes. He died for all by dealing with the sin question in John 1, verse 29. That's not saying, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. No. He dealt with the sin question between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. If that hadn't been dealt with and had, he hadn't been accepted, none of our sins 
would have been ever dealt with and forgiven. And there's a major difference between sin and sins. Again, all through the Old Covenant, leprosy is a type of sin. That's why we'll get into that at a different time. So my mind doesn't go with that. And that he died for all, that they which live, do, do we have the life of Christ? Yes. Is there any life for us outside of him? No. That they which live, hear about this one, should not henceforth from now on live unto themselves. What's that? Live unto the flesh. My flesh, everything about me is flesh. Is it? No. That from now on should live not unto themselves, but look at what it says, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See the type? Jesus rose up. He had supper, and that always speaks of an intimate fellowship. Something he always had with God his Father the whole time he walked the face of the earth. The only time it was cut off was when he was on the cross, loaded with our sins. And that's why he would cry out in, in, in fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 1, and in Matthew 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it all had to do with his Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason is, so he wouldn't, and you and I wouldn't be forsaken. These are the types that are being brought out here in, in the book of Numbers. And again, here it is. It's, it's the provision of this, the water of purification from the defilement of dead, or death, see? And again, even here, even here in the Hebrew and in this type, in Numbers, the 19th chapter, what do we see? We see this whole assembly. We see the whole assembly of Israel. They would be in danger, listen to this one, of being infected with the defilement of death through one individual. One individual would affect the whole. What, what does a little leaven do? Affects what? The whole lump. One individual in a local assembly that lives in a sin and lives in sin, known sin, what does it do? It has an effect on the whole. It's just brought out very clearly. That's why each of us individually need to have our feet constantly cleansed, instantly. I mean, even the thought of sin in Proverbs 24, verse 9, is foolishness. In other words, in Proverbs 18, verse 2, it's relying upon self. Myself is the object, and my opinions matter, and nothing else does, and no one else does. God forbid. God forbid. So it would affect the whole congregation, the defilements of the world, through dirty feet. The whole assembly would be in danger. The whole assembly would be in danger. What? of being infected with the defilements of death. And what is death in its basic meaning? Separation. Death is never extinction. Again, that's what does away with the foolishness of, an, of the annihilist who believes in annihilationism. It's never ex extinction in any language. It's separation. And we get separated from him experientially. Who's our life? Until our feet are cleansed and think. I was so thankful of God for this this morning, for me personally. I mean, I was so thankful. I mean, I just wept with thankfulness, not because I'm like some spiritual, 
but just some guy who was so thankful for this. Because in Ephesians 5, verse 16, let me read it to you. Here's Ephesians 5, verse 16, and this is why it's so very necessary for each individual, not only for God's glory, not only for their own fellowship, but for the benefit of the whole. Because remember what fellowship is in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 3. It's the Greek word kinonia. It means setting aside private interests and desires for the benefit of the whole. It's Philippians 2, 3, esteeming one another better than ourselves. Not looking on our own things, but on the things of others. What would our life be? We'd be so free of so much. We would be so free of every struggling defilement. God, neither have I till this morning too. I just join you on that one. But the fact of the matter is, look at what it says. Look at what it says in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time. I don't know, part of redeeming the time, would that have anything to do with continually having our feet washed? That's right. Because you know one dirty step leads to what? Psalm 69.27, Romans 6.19, Isaiah 30, verse 1. Sin leads unto sin. Iniquity leads unto iniquity. And we know where all these sins and lies come from in John 8, verse 44, based upon Ezekiel 28, verse 15. Now, again, Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time, because the days are what? Evil. Evil here, again, is not kakos, intrinsic evil that Satan is. It's not kakos, intrinsic evil. It's infectious evil in active opposition to God's divine will. Do you know when I function in sin, I function in my flesh, and in Romans 8, verse 7, I I function in hostility and hatred to God. And if it's to God, is it to those that he loves? That's how we come. Oh boy, we need to approach him with clean feet, don't we? Not only for his glory and for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. You know, as long as I have dirty feet, you think I'm going to esteem some? You think I'm going to esteem God and Christ and the Holy Spirit? No, it's going to be, every, my whole life will be about me. And I'll use the scriptures to enforce it. Not so good. Not so good. Well, thank God. Thank God. That that can be dealt with in every one of us. We have a provision. Because when he was bringing this out to me, I was like, huh. I'll tell you, the enemy always, always with me, he, he wants to deceive me in Revelations 12, 9. And he, because he wants to accuse me in Revelations 12, 10. He doesn't accuse the world. He just keeps them in deception. But he wants to deceive us so he can accuse us. That's Revelations 12, 9 and 10. He constantly has told me this. I mean, since I was... Since I was a 23-year-old, just turned 23, even right up to now, this morning, it's over, Ed. It's too late for you. Man, you have messed up too much. Man, you have sinned too much. I'm like, oh, God, is it over for me? Honestly, is it over? No. No. He cleanses our feet so that we don't forfeit that vocation of being holy in Christ. And the only way that he could do that 
is that God would have to provide you and I the means of cleansing. God, you and how it's 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 humility. You got dirty feet. Where where does God want our dirty feet? Right in His hand. You don't think that'll humble you? Me? Put it in here. Did you think a bad thought about someone? Okay, that's sin. Put it in here. Put it here. Put it. Why? I love you. <laughs> and I love those that you had the bad thought about. But I love you. So put your hand. Put your hand. And put your, your foot in my hand. What's the hand all we speak of in 1 Peter 5, 6? It's his grace. His grace. So that you live in the truth of a proper identification. And these things are key. I love coming early because this is where God gives the fullness. I'm just telling you. He really and truly does. He gives us the fullness. That's what makes it necessary even to put these things up as quickly as possible. As much as you can and we can and if you need help to do this. Because this is, these things are critical. These things are so valuable and so important. So again, he provides the means of cleansing from this defilement. Listen, so that we don't, that, that we don't lose the fellowship of his grace and truth. We don't miss him. Because what are we like when we do? When we miss him experientially, being positioned in him, but we miss him experientially. And again, in 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sin, that's what we're saying. It's not praying for forgiveness. It's confessing. It's confessing the fact that we are forgiven. And with that, of course, properly will come 2 Corinthians 7.10, a godly sorrow that has not an ounce of regret. So it keeps out worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow, that's why the enemy wants us to have dirty feet. That's right. So he can condemn us like we're not. And he can accuse us like we're not. That's why he wants, he does everything he can to get us in the flesh and have dirty feet. And that's why. So instead of forfeiting this, God given us even this provision. I mean, he's, he's crucified our old, he's paid for all our sins, and still to have fellowship. He's still. So that sin doesn't enter into the experience that he's dealt with, gives us this water of purification. And boy, does that go into some things. We're going to see that. We'll see it again tomorrow. We'll see it again Thursday. And as much as God wants to continue, and I never know. So, But again, that's what this is talking about. Okay? <clears throat> now, that's what was so important to the Israelites, and that's what he was teaching them, and that's what he's teaching us in the fulfillment of Christ. And what he was teaching them and what he's teaching us about what we have in Christ, which they never had, is the ordinance of the red heifer. That's why it's a red heifer. And some would, and a red heifer, we know, we say is a female. Remember how, we, how it was brought out that all the other sacrifices were males. That's in type. That's Exodus 12, 5. That's Leviticus chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. That was a male without spot and blemish. Here was a red heifer. What is it in type? It's still Christ. Because whatever cleansing there would be, wouldn't it have to be him? So the red heifer, and some would teach it the wrong way, and okay, and I could too if I wasn't being taught by the Holy Spirit too, and given the grace and truth. 
I would function in ignorance. But the fact of the matter is, it's a red heifer, it's a female, because that points to the passivity and willingness and submission to God. He's so submitted to him. That's what he's saying in John 8, 29. I always do those things that please him. I'm completely submitted to him. I'm completely willing. My will is given over so that I can fulfill his will in John 4, verse 34. So what does it show? It shows the red heifer shows here that all those things happen to us for types. Remember we read that? Why are the types? Should we just ignore the whole Old Testament? Some, you know, hyper-dispensationalists will tell you all you need is the epistles. You don't need anything else. It's got nothing to do with you. They'll tell you you're not sheep. Really? We're not like sheep? Yeah, I know. I know I'm not a sheep, but am I like one? Can I clean myself, protect myself, guide myself, and feed myself? No. Can you? Can I? We can't do any of that. What makes us think we can do those things and do them properly without him? Because if we do do them without him, it's because of us and not Christ. It's the flesh. That's what, again, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, it says, Now these things are our types to the intent that we, those in Christ, should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You know, when you don't get your feet clean, you're going to still live in the lusts. Did you know that? Did I know it? We're going to continue to do it. Right? Verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for types, for they are written for our admonition. What is God doing right now? He's at what? Admonishing us with reality, right? For they're written for our admonition unto whom the ends of the age are come. The age that we're in, this time period, is going to end with the rapture, as much as some wouldn't agree with that. Those self-scholars and, and self-theologians and those that make a Bible of their own liking because, uh, you know, maybe they know more than God does and God forbid, right? God forbid that and he does. So, but again, these types are written for our admonition. Those things happen to them so that we can learn by them. That's why they're in here. That's why they're there. Why? Because defilement with death is what? is a main feature in this wilderness book where we are in this world system. That's right. Defilement with death is right there, just waiting. That's why Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, don't give any place to the devil, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Keep the door closed. Keep you and Christ in and he... He keeps you in him, by the way, and he keeps you in and keeps out that from entering in from the outside. And so as we begin to, to uh, wrap this up this morning. Okay, so what we see, and again, this feature is brought out. This is brought out even in the law of the Nazarite. That's the sixth chapter of Numbers, and we don't have to get into that right now, uh, which we won't. But it, it is a provision, and even that, there's a second Passover. <laughs> yeah, a second Passover, and th what that means, and we don't want to get into that, but this is the fact. Death is, in fact, what characterizes the world yeah. as a wilderness. That's why Jesus said through, and again, he spoke it through the power of the Holy Spirit and had John, the beloved apostle, write it in 1 John 2, verse 15, love not the world. Basically, you could say, stop loving the world. 
neither the things that are in the world. If any of those that are mine love the world, and is there love outside of God? No, there's only lust. The love of the Father is not in their experience. And these are the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And these things that are in the world right now are passing away. The world's going to end. The whole system's going to end. Not the earth, the world system that surrounds it, of which Satan is the prince in power in Ephesians 2.2, 2, John 12.31, and John 14.30. So that's what characterizes it. And guess what? The, anything that we go through and experience and leave the experience of Christ and go into the world, guess what? It's not, is, it, is, it any permacy? is there anything permanent about it? Huh? Does things last forever here? I don't care what they are. Go ahead, buy a new car. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Do your best to keep it up. They're going to last. Not going to last. It's not going to last. See Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. Watch that. You can't serve two. <laughs> you can't serve yourself and God. <coughs> They're mutually exclusive, thank God. Right? So that's what that is. It's not a permanent abode. And is, is it able to sustain life? Is Christ my life? So do I need anything of this world system to sustain my spiritual life? Certain things we have to physically, but under his control, we'll be content with such things as we have. We will get away from covetousness. In Hebrews, chapter, uh, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So we can be content with such things as we have. And our contentment in 1 Timothy 6, 6 is in God. And godliness with contentment is what? And, it's and what makes it great? It's eternal. And we're not taking anything off this world. Any material thing. We're not taking it. Right? So, again... What does it do? What is death in this world system that is not a permanent place and neither is it even able to sustain life in us because Christ is our life? It defiles. And it defiles because it's the penalty of sin. Do we have a clean conscience? Do we in Christ positionally? Yes, we do. And that's Hebrews chapter 10, 1 and 2. But can I function like the world in a defiled conscience in Titus 1 verse 15? Yes. But to the pure, listen to this, all things are pure. Isn't that necessary why we need to have our feet washed? Yeah. So we don't make that our identification. No, he wants to keep us pure in his pure love. Incredible. The purity of his love. To the pure, all things are pure. In other words, every step, Ed, that you take is going to be my pure love. And when it's not, stop, I'll deal with it. Confess it. I'll wash it. Now keep going. Keep going. And that's what it's teaching us here. It defiles because it's the penalty of sin. And when death rules, what's the lesson? There's defilement even for those that are living, even for you and I in Christ. And that's what it's teaching us. In whatever form, and when we have dirty feet and we don't want the word, we don't want Christ. We don't want fellowship. We form God after our own liking. That's 2 Timothy 3, 5. Who having a form of godliness, deny the power thereof. Who's the power? 
First Peter 1 Peter 1.5, kept by the power. Who is the power of God? Christ, the wisdom and power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24. And my will's not submitted. I'm going to form and use something else to do it. I'm going to make an idol out of someone or something. God, we should do, God forbid that we should do that with other Christians. Make them the ones that we bow down to so we can get from them what we desire, which is already ours in Christ. And that's what he's teaching us. And we all do. Listen, I don't care. I'm 68. It'll be 69 in April. I'm still growing up in him. Because if I don't, in Ephesians 4.15, I'm going to be tossed to and fro in 4.14. And that's why he wants 30 feet. So we get confused and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and being seduced in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Seduced away from him. And then we're going to close. There is defilement for those that are in Christ, the living. But what? For those that have what is really life before God. That God, he gave us his son. He so wants us to see how he sees us in his son. So he gave his son to keep our feet clean and deal with it so we can see in proper right image and identity how he sees us. That's Job 36 verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. He doesn't. Because Christ is our righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. That life before God, right? In us, that life and being cleansed literally bears witness that's who we are. But also... It will, he will show us where we have slipped away from him. And when we do, we lose all joy of our heavenly portion and we lose all peace. Experientially, can't touch it positionally. And do we see the difference here? So that's why he says, and I'm going to absolutely close with this one. This is Philippians chapter 3. And with studying this, these are the scriptures and the correlations that God gave little me this morning. <laughs> this, is, this is Philippians 3, verse 17. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me. And what he's saying is 1 Corinthians 11, 1. As long as I follow Christ, follow me. When I don't, in that area, pray for me. Right? Right? But don't, in that area. But follow me. Right? Follow me. Without judgment, condemnation, without rebuking an elder. Okay? Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which so walk, right? Clean feet, dirty feet, so as to you have us as an example, a type, an example. Okay? For many walk, govern their lives, of whom I have told you often, and even now tell you weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Can we walk that way experientially? We will until our feet are clean. That's right. Read Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. We will. It's not who we are, but we'll walk in it. Right? Enemies of the cross of Christ, because the cross has done what? It separated me, in Galatians 6, verse 14, separated the world from me <laughs> and me from the world. Why? How did it do that? He crucified me. I no longer am alive, as, God, as far as God's concerned, in this world system. I'm in Christ, my life. How do we know each other in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17? No, no man after the flesh. Don't treat him that way. 
You don't, even when we fail, we're not to treat each other that way. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17, because all things are new in their position, but we do everything we can to restore them properly. That's Galatians, the sixth chapter, in those first four verses. Okay. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is what? Destruction. Remember the thief comes in John 10, 10, 8, to, to steal, to kill, and destroy? Right? Whose God is their belly. What's that mean? They live by their emotions. It's a metonym, the belly. Huh? I take the food in, that's the thought. It goes in here, I'm storing it up, this is how I feel. Huh? It's emotions, right? Whose God, this is their emotions. Whose glory is their shame. Who mind earthly things. Again, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, right? For our conversation, no, that's lifestyle, by the way. Our lifestyle, our life is in heaven, right? From where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is our look to constantly be? To the things of the world or to, for him? Waiting for his appearance. See Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14, especially in the 13th verse. Who will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work and whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. He subdues his whole creation. Did you know that? He's in control of everything. Even the ice that's out there, so be careful. He's in control of it all. Is he in control of us in our experience? Boy. Well, Lord, thank you this morning for, for this truth here. And Father, I just look so forward <laughs> just what you have for us, Father. And I am so thankful, personally, so thankful for you, Lord, for my Savior, for you, God. Thank you for being my Father by giving me your Son and giving me the Word, who is your Son, and giving me the Holy Spirit, who's my teacher in 1 John 2, 20 and 27, who takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13 and 14 and just so beautifully shows them unto us like you're doing this morning. Just thank you and praise you, Father. And may our, may our obedience be the fact, experiential, of, your, of the love that you love us with being returned to you so that we can have an intimate fellowship that nothing can disturb or distract. In Jesus' name, amen.